Next Wave Global Trade from EY. Hello and welcome to the podcast series from EY Global Services. I'm Justine Green and with global trade experiencing such uncertain times, we'll be looking at how organisations can respond to survive and grow. Each episode will be joined by expert guests to share their opinion and insight on our theme. Our focus this time is e-commerce and its impact on customs control. Joining us again from Washington, D.C. are Brenda Brockman-Smith, Executive Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Trade, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Hello, Brenda. Welcome back. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, So glad you can join us. And also from the Washington area, Dan Dreyfus, Global Trade and Customs Leader at EY. Hello and welcome again, Dan. Hello, Justine. Hello, Brenda. Great to be with you again. Brenda, thanks so much for spending time with us on this really important topic. Looking forward to the conversation. As am I, Dan. And thanks very much. Now, Brenda, e-commerce growth is accelerating. Just give us a quick overview of the key factors behind this change in global trade. Justine, that's not an understatement at all. What we're seeing every year is tremendous growth in e-commerce. Most of those packages are very low value. In fact, 93% of what we saw were valued at less than $200. And over half of those shipments are valued less than $10. What are the most valuable e-commerce commodities at the moment? I would say consumer electronics. Um, especially during the pandemic, as folks have looked to increase their technology and really relied on things like computer peripherals and phones. Um, I would say that electronics probably are the most valuable. And Dan, how widely do e-commerce customs formalities differ around the world? Presumably some countries are more liberal than others. That's a great question, Justine. Uh, I think it's really easy for us to think about e-commerce being a globally cohesive system or ecosystem where consumers everywhere can make purchases online, receive it overnight or whenever it is that they're looking to get it, or even expect same-day delivery as we're starting to see more. But it's really far from it. And despite the focus on lower-value products, and as Brenda just said, such a preponderance of them and being a consumer-driven aspect of the global trade arena, Business-to-consumer e-commerce represents, by some accounts, 12% or more of the global trade of physical goods. Uh, UNCTAD, for example, is reporting that in 2018, business-to-consumer e-commerce was valued at more than $4 trillion U.S. dollars. So the market's extremely large and important and growing. And your question really starts to get at whether countries are prepared to facilitate that growth, whether there are impediments to that growth even. So e-commerce rules and the treatment of e-commerce do differ, and in some cases really considerably and widely. Even within with similarities on paper uh, or in law, countries handle packages and e-commerce very differently, uh, and even inconsistently within the same country sometimes, between ports, uh, all even shipment to shipment, they're very different. Brenda, how urgent is a unification of customs procedures globally? Justine, I think for two reasons. We've got to be focusing on this now. I think the first concern is that uh, customs administrations around the globe need to have much greater visibility into e-commerce supply chains. There's a lot of new players, new platforms, new uh, logistics facilitators, but most particularly new sellers who may have never engaged in trade processes before. And suddenly they're sending goods all around the world. 
And right now, uh, because of the low value of the shipments and the fact that those have tended to be a little bit off customs administration's radar screens because they're not worth a great deal of money, we don't have a lot of information about those shipments. And so being able to identify the risk level associated with the small packages is really important. Well, let me ask you both, how would you like to see e-commerce be standardized around the world? One of the things we have to be very careful of is to recognize that government's interest in e-commerce is not just about the collection of duties, taxes, and fees. It's not just the revenue associated with those packages, but more importantly, the focus needs to be on safety and security. We have a lot of consumers that um, right now, they don't know where their goods are coming from, and it really is incumbent on the sellers and on the facilitators to ensure that goods are not counterfeit, that they meet consumer safety standards, and that um, consumers can rely on them. So I think that that's a key factor to um, the global standards. And Dan? Let's start with the consumer. Expectations for next day or same-day delivery continue to increase. Uh, We'll call it expedited delivery for lack of a better way to put it right now. And in the global environment, that only happens with the things that we're talking about, streamlining of procedures, harmonization, Um, The WCO's framework is going to be really important as it gets implemented. Uh, Transparency around it has to be communicated, obviously. And in many countries, modernized systems capable of processing the volume with risk assessment just don't exist right now. And of course, the important piece for the consumer is ultimately value. If all of that doesn't provide something that is a value for them, they just won't purchase it. So there's one more challenge looming as well, and and it's likely it's going to be the lifting of the moratorium on digital taxation. We don't exactly know where it's going to go, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. And it's going to have implications for e-commerce. It'll add to the complexity to include the payment and collection of taxes and how each country applies those taxes or interprets them. And it's going to impact the value we just talked about, not just the cost. So not sure that standardization alone is needed, but the clear communication of differences in requirements is going to be one of the keys uh, to the growth of e-commerce. And it's it's clearly here to stay. It's, It's not a fad. So it's going to continue to evolve. Okay. well, next, we'll talk more about security and risks affecting e-commerce. Next wave global trade. So, Brenda, can you give us an idea of the type of illegal practices that e-commerce trade has been susceptible to recently? Justine, the the growth in e-commerce presents a number of new opportunities for international business, but it also opens the doors to counterfeiters, criminals, and other trade violators who are looking to make a fast buck. In fiscal year 2020, CBP seized uh, approximately 27,000 shipments that were counterfeit goods. Um, We saw most of these seizures happen in the express and mail environments, and likely um, those counterfeit shipments were primarily small packages. We have seized over 177,000 test kits that the FDA prohibits because they don't meet consumer safety standards. We've seized over 30 million counterfeit face masks. We've also um, put our hands on nearly 45,000 counterfeit or prohibited pharmaceuticals. Well, let's look at e-commerce organizations and their role in risk assessment. Dan, what's been learned and what needs to happen now? 
So companies deal with risk in, in many, many ways. Uh, there's some very, obviously, basic commonalities. And I think in, in global trade, one of the things they always have to contend with are the things that, that Brenda just alluded to. So there are people who are looking to subvert the brand or you know, violate intellectual property rights or, or other illicit behavior. Uh, risk assessment is going to need to account for, for the going concern of businesses, financial risks, risk uh, that they deal with on a regular basis as we've, we've talked about. But while e-commerce offers um, other opportunities, they are going to have to create strategies for how to deal with that, not just rely on customs administrations to, to handle risk, obviously, but uh, they, they bear a big responsibility uh, for it. Consumer awareness plays a role in what uh, corporate risk is ultimately and surveillance is going to be able to do. The activism around things like, for example, forced labor, which was the topic of our first discussion, it's not that e-commerce is immune to those by any stretch. In fact, they still have to account for those types of things and be cognizant of, of those types of pieces and presence in their supply chain. So e-commerce platforms are going to need to find ways of handling gray areas, including things like package theft uh, or pilferage and risk associated with returning of merchandise on a global scale, which is not something that every consumer in the world has been either privy to and may not even be allowed by some laws. But how do we handle goods being returned across borders and what opportunities those offer for illicit behavior as well. And Brenda, your thoughts, including how is the pressure of fast order fulfillment impacting risk assessment? Um, From the government perspective, what I think is important to recognize is that the e-commerce entities need to have a seat at the table. Um, They have the best information about the way that supply chains are evolving, as well as a good picture of what the art of the possible is. So let's talk a bit about what that means in terms of data. E-commerce entities are by and large very technology um, cutting edge and the information that they have available to them and the way that they can share that information, I think is something that, that they need to lead forward on because it is only through using that data, sharing it and providing the tools that can be used to assess the risk, will we be able to work together really as a, an ecosystem to support safe and secure but prosperous e-commerce. And when it comes to sustainable industry success, what should a healthy balance between legitimate e-commerce trade and mitigating the risks look like? I think transparency is key and it goes to um, the responsibilities of U.S. consumers to, uh, as we often say, buyer beware, but to know who they're purchasing from. I also think that sellers need to recognize their responsibility to that consumer, not only to provide a product that's fast, but one that is safe and secure. And Dan, your thoughts, what does a healthy balance look like? Ideally, I think, uh, you know, obviously Brenda covered a lot of it, but I think ideally trade and customs policies, customs technological capabilities and procedures evolve to the point where from a trade perspective, it's it's fairly immaterial whether a shipment is e-commerce or, or more traditional, and, and that may be overstating it a little bit. The balance is going to continue to evolve, and I think depending on one's perspective, uh, there's never going to be this kind of fine tipping point. We're never going to reach that optimal point, but it's uh, it's the nature of global trade and so many factors and variables to consider that uh, there certainly can be greater transparency, and perhaps that's uh, a better way to frame it. 
All right, well, to round off this episode, we'll focus on technology's role in e-commerce. Well, transforming technologies are not only changing consumer behaviour, but also producing huge amounts of data. Brenda, what is the US government doing to harness and best use all this information? Justine, uh, Customs and Border Protection has been long a proponent of and a collector of data, really going back to the the early 1960s. Um, Last year, for example, we had hundreds of millions of import and export transactions about which we collected information relating to the the shipper, the manufacturer, the um, U.S. importer, and the port of entry it arrived at. But one of the things that we found over the last couple of years is that there is not a great deal of detailed knowledge about global supply chains. Um, I would call them third or fourth tier suppliers in those supply chains. But yet there's an increase in the demand for um, a significant amount of transparency that's really caused us to invest in two areas. The first area really is around the legal framework. And that is, for us, centered on the development of the 21st century uh, customs framework effort, which is really an overall review and modernization of the statutes, the regulations, and the policies that govern international trade coming into and going out of the United States. I think the other effort that we have undertaken is really a review of the available technology. Um, tremendous strides in the development of things like distributed ledger technologies or advanced analytics. And at CBP, we've been working with both the private sector on the the technology development side, as well as the technology application side. So we've done a number of tests around using distributed ledger technologies like blockchain to address issues like food safety or petroleum tracking, uh, which have been traditional operational challenges for us, but really where there's a high value in coming up with solutions that ensure that there is transparency and that the rules are followed. And Dan, when it comes to compliance and efficiency, can the sharing of data between government and e-commerce operators be more open? The short answer is, I think that, yeah, um, there can be better data sharing to lead to greater efficiencies. As long as rules are transparent and understood, commerce can adapt to the differences. They do that uh, on a routine basis already. Uh, There are discrepancies or differences across different administrations today in in all kinds of trade transactions. So it's not optimal, but it's the way global trade works. I think we'll start to see some elements that are going to drive the need uh, for, if not better, sharing of information, perhaps greater standardization. And countries are always and, and should always default to their sovereign rights in terms of the ways they handle the trade. And in our case, and for this discussion, e-commerce, obviously. So governments may find ways to get to greater collaboration around e-commerce. And if being more open about sharing data doesn't impinge on sovereign rights or the abilities of customs or other agencies to conduct their proper risk assessment and management, then the business imperative will drive to to more openness. Well, finally, in an ideal world, how would you both like to see e-commerce trade be conducted globally by the end of this decade? 
if we build in transparency, we will provide for that risk assessment and risk mitigation, I think, that needs to happen on the part of the government as well as on the part of the private sector. I think we all need to keep in mind that trade flows need to be efficient. And uh, as Dan noted, that we do not necessarily have straight lines. But I think keeping our eye on the goal of efficiency will ensure that trade delivers low-cost solutions that are available to citizens around the world. And I think the third thing that we are looking for is to continue to support flexible and agile supply chains. You never know where the disruption is coming from. Is going, the next disruption is going to come from, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's um, a natural disaster such as a storm or a, a, a tsunami. But I think having the ability and building resilience into supply chains is really critical to ensure that trade delivers on its promise. And Dan? I think we, we've got to think a little bit almost kind of where, where we started this conversation, which is maybe think about e-commerce being uh, more of a global ecohesive ecosystem and where consumers really can purchase online and receive overnight or perhaps even next day. Uh, or same day, and uh, that puts a lot of pressure on a lot of points and nodes throughout the ecosystem. So a lot of uh, evolution that can take place, and there's so much that goes into achieving all of that, and elements that transcend e-commerce as a subject or practice, but are keys to the expansion. So things like open skies agreements that don't exist everywhere for allowing for the freer and more efficient movement would be one element that could start to affect the type of change, uh, has some different potential impacts on customs procedures, et cetera. And clearly e-commerce can exist without open skies agreements everywhere. It just may not be able to reach all interested consumers. So again, consumer interests, behaviors, demands, et cetera, may drive some some changes that uh, otherwise we haven't been able to to arrive at. And clearly infrastructure can have an impact uh, as well. So the build out and access to consumers in remote areas is gonna be a big thing technologies like drones, which may help to leapfrog the need for some of those transportation-related infrastructures, but clearly some advances that could could see a very significant change in the next uh, several years. But one thing's for certain, and that's that if the current growth rates in e-commerce continue, we're going to see yearly volumes roughly equal uh, to 30 or 50 packages per person on Earth per year by the end of the decade. And that's a, that's a pretty significant number. That's packages in somewhere between 300 billion to 500 billion. There are going to be advances in manufacturing distribution that are going to bring even more potential sellers online, driving price points of what maybe previously were not de minimis or low value shipments into more affordable ranges. So we've got also uh, the potential for, for needing to account for how we do things that didn't fall into those categories that might now be maybe offered at price points that meet those, uh, the reinvention of supply chains. And we're going to see consumer behaviors and buying patterns evolve as well as people become uh, more comfortable, more people come online, et cetera. And we'll see changes, obviously, in policies and agreements. All of this points to significant pressure to adopt uh, new and better ways of processing e-commerce. Okay, well, it's been a fascinating conversation. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to both our guests for sharing their thoughts and knowledge. Brenda, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Justine. And Dan, thanks to you too. Very much a pleasure. Thank you so much, Brenda. Thank you so much for your uh, your conversation. Now, do join us again where we'll continue to discuss global trade with our expert guests. 
Also, you can subscribe to this series so you won't miss an episode. From me, Justine Green, Brenda and Dan, thanks for listening and goodbye. Next Wave Global Trade, back soon.